0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the chicklet that made us who we are. My name is Katherine Donahue, and I'm an author, a journalist, and a highly contagious German flu. Joining me is writer, editor and an exquisitely tailored Vietnamese suit, <laughs> Phil Ellis. Today we're talking about Less by Andy Sean Greer. Hi.
2: Hello. How are you? I am good. I am so, so happy to be here talking about one of my favourite books.
1: It's so beautiful. So you and I have um, biannual summits where, yes. <laughs> <laughs> where you happen to be in London on a day and I will cut, drop everything and meet you. And most of the time we uh, get a bottle of wine and end up talking about this book. Yes, because it's so beautiful in every way, and and the thing that I think we we come back to a lot on it is that ignore the fact that it won the Pulitzer.
2: That is. What so? I, I recently included this in a roundup of summer reading um, for for an article, and mm. the first thing I say is ignore the sticker on the prize. Yeah, uh, the, uh, ignore the sticker on the cover um, because it's a you know it's got that lovely prestigious silver uh, golden circle mm. on it. As on, it on, should, on, you know, when you yeah, earned yeah, it, and, and it's a, And it's a phenomenal book, and it absolutely deserved the prize. But I think it's the only Pulitzer Prize winning book I've ever read.
0: Same um, high, and, same,
2: and it's it's the the cover is the book. It's this gloriously colorful slightly cartoony, yeah. uh, just romp. And, and I, 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 I use that word sparingly, but it's yeah. deserved in this case.
1: It completely is. And, and the reason I wanted to cover it, we do this occasionally because most of the time, as you know, we do like very, very commercial romantic books that don't get the cultural serious criticism they deserved. Yeah. And sometimes we do it the other way around, which is very seriously critically received books that don't get the commercial edit they deserve. And yes. I think whenever and I've, I've listened to, I, I interviewed Andrew last year. Um, so I did a lot of listening around to podcasts to get the sort of general consensus on him and a lot of research. And it was, I listened to so many kind of book club podcasts about this book and all of it was like, oh, it's very Wodehouse. It's very classical. It's a like classical English blah. And it all the, and like, and I kind of kept thinking when I was listening to it, it, was like, yeah, but it's also just very romantic. It's very sentimental. It's very sweeping, you know. It's,
2: and It's a gay eat, pray, love.
1: It is a gay, Bray Love!
2: <laughs> and, I, and I mean that uh, as the highest form of praise. It's a glorious queer rom-com. And it's the kind of book that, you know, when... And, and again, it's something I, I don't say very often, but it's the kind of book I wish that I'd written. But yeah. I couldn't have written this because it's so good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Someday.
2: Someday, when I'm pushing 50. Yeah.
1: And what I also realised as well is that um, it is the only book that you'll find on, on a table in Waterstones that is about gay adults. Cuz if you notice, there are queer romances available, but they are almost always about um young adults.
2: Oh, it's all like like the Love Simon and and, yeah. and that sort of and which and I and I think that's massively important to have oh, the completely. stories but it's like I'm kind of really happy that this wasn't like a coming out story, which is the gay story that you, you read. Yeah. You, have, you have the coming out story. and then the, you AIDS have story. The, the AIDS story. The AIDS story. And what I loved about the, this book is it doesn't ignore AIDS because yeah. some of it takes place in the, in the 80s. But it's sort of, it's like a post-AIDS novel that acknowledges the impact but isn't like really yeah. gloomy and bleak and important when it talks about it.
1: Totally. It, it completely acknowledges that um, this character's, a lot of his problems exist because the AIDS crisis existed without it necessarily being and my lover who died kind of thing. Do you know what I
2: mean? Not to get too off track, but I recently finished reading The Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin, which is a gorgeous book. Um, And I especially got really into it when I realised that one of the main characters is gay. Sure. And he moves to San Francisco, and he becomes a dancer, and it's this glorious love story of him, kind of you know, just like coming to terms with who he is and and, and learning to really love who he is, and, and find this sense of joy and community. And then it's like, oh no, and now it's the eighties, and I can, I oh, I know. it's it, it's
1: <laughs> it's like that thing where you like when you see like a like a time clicker or whatever, it goes nineteen seventy nine click 1980. Now people are going to start dying. Yeah, and (laughs) I was like, like, oh
2: no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and obviously these stories are so deeply, deeply important, but also you just want... Joy for these people, and we're going to get so into that because there's so much about this in there. I'm just going to do a quick summary for people who haven't read the book. And in fairness, this plot summary is going to be very short because there's not a ton of plot in here. It's just some things happen. Some things but happen. It's just like
2: basically, oh, it's eight love grand is, is the love plot. grand. <laughs> Happiness <laughs> is not bullshit. That is one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> Happy
1: oh. speaking right to my heart here. All right. Uh, Arthur Less is a mid-list gay author who is about to turn 50 and following the news that his ex-lover Freddie Pelou, is about to get married decides to embark on a trip around the world bouncing from a literary prize ceremony in Italy to a teaching job in Berlin, a birthday party in Marrakesh and a journalism job in Japan. And that's kind of it. And we just sort of meet the various characters of his life who kind of weave in and out of this big travelling story. And... um, we talked about we talked about a minute ago about I don't I don't want to jump straight into the AIDS thing, but we just because yeah. we've already just mentioned it, it's this thing of like, for me, what the book is like about is is the fact that as a is it, there's this famous line in it that now famous where he says Arthur Less is the first gay man to grow old, yes, <laughs> and or at least it feels that way, and it's so funny because obviously it's silly, but at the same time it's blisteringly darkly true yeah oh, and then it goes yeah. on
2: to really explain and elaborate on that and it's that he doesn't know how to go old grow old because apart from his uh, lover his former lover Robert who is i think 75 at the yeah. time that the book takes place um he has no real yeah he's, he's never seen it in the world because yeah. he grew up in a generation where everybody interesting died yeah uh, and so he he goes on. He's like, should I become one of those older gym gays who you know diets yeah. and 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 wears trendy clothes and goes clubbing and sleeps with boys, or should I become one of those gays who kind of gives up sex and and gets married and adopts children and and kind of becomes a straight person? And yeah, becomes
1: culturally a straight person in a sense. Yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah.
2: And yeah, and 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 this is something I didn't really pick up on the first time I read it, and then when I was reading it um, just to prepare for today, mm-hmm. it's it kind of yeah the fact that the entire novel. It's about his midlife crisis. He is dreading turning fifty, mm-hmm. um, and and so he sort of plans this trip around the world. A to avoid Freddie's wedding, but also so he has some kind of distraction from his own life while he's reaching this milestone. Yeah, um, and I mean, not again, not to skip way way ahead, but like the fiftieth birthday where he he shares it with um, this wonderful woman who's also turning fifty on the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I love that chapter, um, but yeah, so it it, it it's about. How, you know, how do you turn fifty when you feel like you're the first person to to do so?
1: It's and it, there's something that's just so magical about, and there is a kind of a touch of magicalness to it because it says throughout the book that like Arthur Les himself, he's kind of like a Peter Pan character. Like yeah. people sort of say to him, people are sort of like bemused by him all the time all of his friends who seem to be aging so rapidly around him and he has like I mean obviously he's got grey hair and he's no one can mistake him for a boy anymore as they say but like uh, he has this sort of youthful thing people are like wow you're, you're like somebody who was born without any skin yeah it's like this...
2: everything is new to him yeah um, and he and, and <laughs> it's what I found deeply deeply relatable as well is he sort of walks through the world just like without a single shred of common sense <laughs> and so he just kind of keeps having these like gets in, gets into these increasingly silly situations just because like he can't figure out how to you know get the fireplace in his in his hotel room to to work properly or he he locks himself out of his holiday apartment and so he ends up like dangling from a, a window ledge trying to get into the balcony and there's a woman on the street below she's like oh no he's not a thief he's clearly just an american <laughs> and, it's, and yeah he, 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 and, and and that i i really really do connect with because I've been told from childhood because i'm I was such a daydreamer and I was just like making up Ooh, these yeah. stories in my head and I had no and and also in the book he and this is something I've I've always done as well he retreats into his reverie and then he's and then he'll find that like the conversations moved on and then he's like oh oh god I, I have no idea what's going on because I was just daydreaming and, and remembering something that happened twenty years ago
1: <laughs> yeah oh and
2: he's just yeah he's this very sort of just like a like a daydreaming child
1: he, yeah but which is what's so interesting about that is that he is a daydreaming child again who's growing old um, but also has been surrounded his entire sort of young twinky life by older geniuses. Yes. Like so he so his um, lover of 15 years Robert what's his last name again? Brown, right. Brown, Brown, Brown Yes, Yes. Yes. Um, who was part of this elite and fictional sort of society of writers called the Russian River School um, who are all just like you know bitchy elder people who are sort of I don't know. Just treat Arthur like a like a baby who's been wandering around his entire sort of twenties, thirties, and
2: and they 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 condescend lovingly to him. They're like, "Oh, Arthur, I hear you've taken up writing." (laughs) <laughs> aged like 31. <laughs> yeah. And and, and he and, and Arthur has these, you know, sort of deep aspirations to be a literary author, but he because he constantly compares himself to these older writers. Yeah. He kind of he he sees himself as like a scrappy newcomer and it's like you're 49. <laughs> yeah, you're 49, you've written 3 or 4 books <laughs> at this point. Um but and again I I relate to that as well because I sometimes keep forgetting that I'm 31 and I'm not like
1: you're a what? I'm
2: not like a drunk twink anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 so I'll, every now and then I'll say something that's just like incredibly immature, and people are like, "But you're a grown up. Why, why are you t- why are you acting like that?" Wow.
1: <laughs> is is there a term for a, a twink in his thirties, or is it, do, does twink is, is it like an attitudinal thing, or does it have to be a in your twenties thing?
2: I don't know. I feel like twink is a state of mind. Uh, and <laughs> Do you it's, occupy it's, it's it? It's like you know, I'm, I'm I'm an actual top, at a spiritual bottom.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh beautiful <laughs> um sorry yeah. um so both of us are freelancers and 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 we both write fiction and the more I read this book and the more I reread it because this is my third time reading it in the two years it's come out I think one of the reasons I keep going back to it apart from the jokes and the romance is that it's so good at depicting that kind of piecemeal existence of being a freelancer.
2: Oh, yeah. There's there's a, a line about how um, through a sort of hodgepodge of different gigs, he's able to weave a blanket, but it never quite covers his toes. I have,
1: <laughs> that, I I have that. that written down here too. <laughs> I have that highlighted so intently. It's like, it me. It me. It never <laughs> quite touches the toes. And it's, it's that sort of the whole depiction of the literary industry is so... I don't know, it almost feels dystopian in a way. And that and what's, and what's so good about it is that you've, you've um, you know, spent enough time being sort of book world adjacent or in the media world. It's mm. so recognisable and it feels like sci-fi. It, it's so bizarre. Like there's this whole thing where he's taken to all these like literary prize ceremonies and things all over the place and uh, they have to, ha- like all these things, they have to lend themselves, they have to have an idea of like, self-importance in order to exist because if you, have a literary prize no one cares about or no one thinks is important then it basically might as well not exist and oh, so yeah. there's so much all these kind of weird delusions of grandeur like there's this really heartbreaking scene where he goes he's flown to this um, award in Turin and he, he's found out that he is apparently a big deal in Italy because he was up translated <gasps>
2: Yes. which always
1: fascinates me and he, so much yeah he's
2: like oh god the, the, the person winning this prize should be Giuliana the, the, tra- the translator exactly yeah. who is
1: apparently just this genius who has like turned his very boring prose into beautiful prose and now as a result he is a small fan based in Italy and he has won this prestigious prize that other people want to win and he's just <laughs> like I don't this isn't for oh, me he, yeah
2: and, and and it's that um that thing as well it's, it's almost like a warning against snobbery because he's like oh I'm going to go to Turin and it'll be a funny story how I was up for this silly little prize and it's like, yeah. oh no, I'm here and people really care about it and people really want this and I'm looking down on it and I've won and oh, I feel terrible. Like, yeah. this isn't just a funny lark that I can tell people about. Like, this is real and this this matters to people. And so, But he, but he always stops just shy of being an asshole. Yeah. Like, he is so lovable even when he's being a bit of a dick. <laughs> oh, God.
1: Because that's the thing because he doesn't know any better, you know? He's just and- so,
2: Hapless and 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 just like and and again like I, normally any book with a middle aged white male protagonist who's just useless at life I'd be like yeah. no I don't care about you at all but I really just want him to do better like when he manages to finally after years and years m- navigate how to get his tax back when he leaves oh. the
1: EU <laughs> it's just like oh <laughs> or like there's one, one scene where he's in a hotel and he's like despite the very clear instructions of the coffee machine the first try emitted just foam and the second one melted the plastic pod completely <laughs> yes. I was like oh who hasn't been there are there <laughs> and it's like oh do I don't want to call the front desk
2: yeah. because I, I, I'm a grown man but also like it's not working like sorry can you come up <laughs> but he's like oh I can like. Fire. I used to be in the Boy Scouts, and then, like, he's drawn out of his reverie by the hotel manager coming in to like open the windows because his fire is just emitting smoke. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, I love him. <laughs> and, like, why, why is it that him being. We're going. Because going, like, this thing that people keep saying to him throughout the book is like, Arthur Less has the best life I know. And, like, from the. He does have the best life. He, like, gets to go around the world. Like, but do you
2: hear that as an author? Yes. And it's like, it's not true, is it? Because I, I, I hear yeah. that all the time. And because, as, as a freelancer, yeah. And, and, and yeah, so like I was at a, a party last night mm-hmm. and someone said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm the, the weekend editor of Men's Health. And I, I, I started writing with GQ this year. And people mm-hmm. are like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, when I say it, like I hear myself and it sounds yeah. incredible, but I'm also broke all the time.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. I it's also... very glamorous when you're looking at it from the outside.
1: Totally. And I think... I, I don't know if you ever done this, and I've never, this is the first time I've ever admitted to doing it. That sometimes um, when I have, have that sort of like self employed blues or whatever, I will like Google myself <laughs> on an igno- incognito browser like I'm watching porn, which in a way I am. <laughs> It's I will, like the best wank ever. I know, I know but I will like just like look and I will like, oh, from the outside, this looks like a person who has an incredibly glamorous life and whose, you know, entire flat isn't covered in dog hair and who isn't like deeply lonely because all of her other freelance friends are currently on like writer's retreats in the south of France and I haven't <laughs> spoken to anyone all day and I've gotten a personal trainer to have someone to talk to. <laughs> oh, babe. It's just been a
2: weird week. I, I, I tell you I the, the a <laughs> really I've, weird week. The only reason I drank so much this week is because I've been chained to my laptop on deadlines and it's like if I don't have yeah. a client at the end and someone to talk to I'm going to I go know. insane.
1: <laughs> that whole like that that thing of like I don't remember if I brushed my teeth today. Have I spoken aloud today? <laughs> yeah. Oh oh
2: no, yes there was the postman. <laughs> And I, then I was like, do you want to stay and chat? No. Wanna... Oh no, you've, you you have places to be. You have you have things to deliver. Sorry.
1: Oh, Bye. God. And then like overidentifying <laughs> with people on podcasts, which is, you know, oh. Oh, I hope then, oh. somebody's listening to this right now and being like, "Yes."
2: And I hope that you're pacing around your flat restlessly, talking back to us and going, "Oh my god, me too. Oh my god, you guys are hilarious."
1: <laughs> or just just thinking, oh. <sighs> No. <laughs> like, yeah. Which is what I do the most often, I think. So, no. <laughs> Just to feel authoritative in the world. But yeah, so so he goes around the world and everyone's like, you have the best life ever. No, I can't believe you've gone to Marrakesh and now you're going to France and now you're going to here. And, and it is such a lonely, trotting life. And he's so ridiculous all of the time. And that's what I, I like. I When I uh, interviewed Andrew about this, uh, he said... And honestly, it was one of the, my favourite interviews I've ever had with anybody. Oh, I can imagine.
2: Is he just a delightful? You know,
1: he looks exactly like you. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Which is like just beautiful Viking ginger man <laughs> with, with, a, with a smile like sunshine.
3: Oh, and my God. <laughs> my God. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. <laughs> 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 um, But um, so he was saying, so um, this is much like Arthur Less is, has, has written four novels, I think, in the book. Andrew, I think, had written four novels as well. And he... For his fourth, um, something called, like... God, I hope he doesn't listen to this and I've forgotten. The the Incredible Lives of Greta Weld, I think it was called. Mm. And he, like, jacked in everything. He, like, didn't go to birthday parties, cancelled holidays, like, bailed on everyone he knew, because he was like, this is it. This is going to be the book. This is my big, important book. I'm going to get out of the little, like, mid-list ghetto that I've been in or whatever. I'm going to really, like, you know, wow the world. And so he blew everyone off, and then the book came out and it kind of basically didn't do anything it sort of tanked or whatever and then he started writing less after it and he said he was so he was so pissed off with himself for thinking that it would be worth it to bail on everyone in his life and to take himself that seriously that to just self-flagellate for 250 pages
2: because it's going to be this worthy important literary work yeah and, just, and just which is like a rom com, mate. That's what we want. And,
1: and, and which is exactly what um, Les is doing in the book. So at the beginning of the book, he's written his fifth novel, which is um, it's called Swift.
2: Oh, and it's the gay, gay Ulysses. Gay Ulysses
1: <laughs> about a man who just walks around San Francisco and and thinks about his life.
2: Oh, but but like my favorite takedown of that was uh, when Zora, the fifty uh, year old lesbian, yeah. says, "No one cares about a book about a middle aged white guy." He, white guy. He's like, "Not even a gay one." She went, "No, it's not enough." <laughs> And It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's like no. You're, you're still. You're still like a. Middle, and, and, and you're a middle-aged white guy writing no, a novel as autobiography. You know. It's like, yeah. Been done.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and it's and it's like and you can feel Greer sort of talking to himself, can you? And there's this thing of like, especially towards the last sort of um, hundred, maybe fifty pages, uh, he goes to India and he rewrites his failed novel as a comedy. Yes. So it's like this weird meta conversation of what's happening. It's like, it's like he's,
2: he's writing. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it's just so so clever. Yeah, like the, the narratives within narratives, and and what I think, again, like saves the reader from kind of becoming increasingly frustrated with Arthur Less is that yeah. it's not narrated by him. It's not his internal yes. monologue. It's without, and I don't know, are we allowed to spoil we it? Do spo-
1: or? We do, we are a spoiler podcast, but for anyone who hasn't read it, I would stop now because this is where the sort of big romantic crux of the book comes from. So I'm giving you two seconds,
2: you're done. Okay, we're spoiling. Okay, so it's, and, and, and it's it's not revealed straight away who the narrator is, it yeah. Just, but you know it's somebody else, because I think the first line is, from where I look. From where from, I from sit, from where the I life sit, of Arthur Lester doesn't seem so bad. Um, And so it's narrated by Freddie, who is his younger lover whose wedding he is desperately trying to avoid mm. and all the way through the book there'll be sort of little asides where it's like oh the first time I met Arthur Les I was 12 and he came to the kitchen and, and then uh, we, we sat and he was avoiding the party so I drew him yeah. um, and then as it goes on and on it, I think it's only right at the end that it's revealed actually um, I woke up the day after my wedding crying because I was still in love with Arthur Les and I was just like oh my god
1: It's so harsh it's just it so beautiful, and, you. and
2: and 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 all. There are hints all the way through, like people saying to Arthur, "Oh, did you hear about the wedding?" And he's like, "I don't want to talk about the wedding." Yeah, he or
1: did Freddie get in touch with yeah? You? And, and he's like, like, "Why would Freddie get in touch with me?" And and
2: and, and it reads like a, a mystery almost because there he misses a phone call and he's asleep on the plane, so he doesn't know who it is. And it was Freddie calling him from his honeymoon. Oh. <laughs> Um, and and so yeah, so the 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 great love sweeping love story is with Freddie, who is narrating the story of Arthur Les, which is also his story because that's the nature of love stories. It's that it, the story belongs to both of you, um, and it's just so beautiful. Can I just
1: can I just read that little bit that you just referenced? Yes, so this is towards the end. Uh, I've never been to Japan. I've never been to India or to Morocco or to Germany or to most of the places Arthur Les has traveled over the past few months. I have never climbed an ancient period. I have never kissed a man on a prison rooftop. I have never ridden a camel. I have taught a high school English cast for the best part of a decade and graded homework every night and woken up early in the morning to plan my lessons and read and reread Shakespeare and sat through enough conferences and meetings for even those in purgatory to envy me. I have never seen a glowworm. I do not by any reckoning have the best life of anyone I know. But what I am trying to tell you, and I only have a moment, what I have been trying to tell you this whole time is that from where I sit, the story of Arthur Les is not so bad because it is also mine. This is how it goes with love stories. Oh, is that just the,
2: the most wonderful I'm thing? Just Goosebumps.
1: Goosebumps. <laughs> and what's so lovely, what's so wonderful about the surprise of the narrator being Freddie. And I talked to people who were like, I, I knew gasped. by page three. And I, I'm I, like, I, fuck I, you, you did not. I,
2: I <laughs> suspected, I'm not going to say I knew. Yeah. Um. I, but I, I gasped and I kind of like clutched the book to my chest. And it was just like,
1: oh, I'm so glad it was him. So. It's,
2: and then, and oh,
1: and what's so beautiful about that is um, and it's so cleverly done where it's like when you're because you get all these flashbacks of um, Arthur and Freddie and their romance which um, I think goes on for the best part of a decade but it's like
2: on and off and they're never like together yeah it's very much it's very like oh it's super casual I'm too old for you so you can't get attached and Freddie's like equally like oh no like we're never going to end up together and they're both lying and you think it's being told or remembered through Arthur's lens when he says you know I'm too old for you never get attached and then right at the end it's revealed it, it yeah. Freddie the story and he said, When I when you said that to me, it was already too late.
1: Oh. And it's just oh yeah. yeah. And and you think that it's kind of a, a sort of a third person omniscient voice of God scenario. And that and then you read the Freddie paragraphs of like, oh, look, they're going to Paris and Freddie basically ditches him to go sightseeing or whatever. And then you realize Freddie, you're seeing all this like this very unremarkable, what doesn't feel like a very wonderful love story. And mm. then you realize because you're hearing it from Freddy's perspective, and because he is so torn apart that he has lost Arthur less. He's only remembering the situations where he behaved poorly.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. which is why, again, you kind of assume it's, even though it's not told through Arthur's perspective, that it kind of is his view yeah. on things. Because, yeah, it, it's it's very... Again, yeah, the narrative is very sympathetic towards Arthur, even when he's being a bit of an a yeah. ass himself. Um, yeah, and, and oh, it's just and, so so great.
1: And the prose is so... And it, it's again, it's that thing of, like, why it never... Um, it never feels like, oh, God, this incredibly privileged um, white guy going around the world on these very elite sort of circles or whatever. Slightly
2: orientalist in, in places as well. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go to India and and sit on a hill and, <laughs> and, and, and write and, and just sort of be surrounded by locals.
1: But you don't get frustrated with him because the affection that Freddie feels for this person. Because like, the thing is, you can hate someone if you're hearing about them from the person who loves them most in the world, you know? Oh, <laughs> I hadn't thought about it
2: that way, but it's so.
1: I haven't yeah. t- just now either, and I'm gonna cry.
2: <laughs> okay, w- w- just to avoid us ending up just like going for the next half hour of just like sighing and, and, and swooning. Okay. Um, I, I would like to read a passage if that's okay. So oh, please do. Yes. Um, so this is. I remember the first time I read this uh, last year. I, sc- I I took a photo of this and I tweeted it and I put it on my Instagram story. Oh wow! And I, and I just said the full platform, oh, every, yeah, every platform. Yeah. And a, I, I just said substitute uh, New York for London, and yeah. and, and this is me. New York is a city of 8 million people, approximately 7 million of whom will be furious when they hear you were in town and didn't meet them for an expensive dinner. 5 million furious you didn't visit their new baby, 3 million furious you didn't see their new show, 1 million furious you didn't call for sex, but only 5 actually available to meet you. It is completely reasonable to call none of them. And it's just, I've, I, it's... A feeling that uh, frustrates me all the time and i would never seen it put into words. It's like, yes, this is what it's like to come to a city and be there for a day and know, you know, dozens of people. And if you put on Twitter or on Facebook or Instagram, oh, I'm going to be in in London in a few days. People are like, oh, like, let's have lunch or whatever. And it's like, do I really want to take like a train two hours across the city to come and see you for 20 minutes? No. Yeah. So my favorite guilty pleasure is just coming to a city and not telling anyone.
1: Oh, and
2: Arthur does exactly that. He takes himself to a show. He has a he has dinner by himself, and then he goes to a musical and bursts into tears. And the woman next to him says, "What happened in your life to make you cry like this?" And he says, "I'm just a homosexual at a musical." Oh, wow! <laughs> and that's what yeah, that's what kind of um, spikes through the the sort of the the sentimentality as well. it's, it's just really really funny?
1: Yeah. Oh, it, and it laughs at its own sentimentality as well. Like, oh, absolutely. His yeah. his attachment to his belief that he can speak German, like.
2: <laughs> oh, and that again, that, and that, that lends to his Peter Pan complex because he speaks like a child. He speaks he does. full of enthusiasm. I think it's uh, his German is bold, not perfect. His his tongue is bruised with errors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and my, I think the um the German parts of the book are maybe my favorite bits because it's that um because Germany is scary. <laughs> same, same, more. I
2: Elaborate. I, 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 I don't feel the same way at all.
1: In terms of like, every time I ever go to Berlin, uh, I, en- I enjoy myself immensely, but I am so terrified of everyone's judgment.
2: Oh, I mean, because I everyone's am, so
1: incredibly cool. I am
2: not cool enough to to be in Berlin. Yeah. Uh, I always feel like I, I should be sort of walking out of the room backwards, bowing, being like, "Thank you, thank you." For yeah, yeah, that's
1: missed. exactly how it feels to be in Berlin.
2: I, so I've, I've okay. gone to Berlin every year uh, for the last seven years. Yeah. And so you, can, I, I'm kind of just over that now. And It's like I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, I'm basically in local. Like I'm yeah. not at all. But I'm based
1: between Birmingham and Berlin. Yeah. No.
2: No. I'm I'm, I'm very much a brummy in Berlin. Uh. And I, but I yeah I, I kind of just like I feel like I've made peace with how uncool I am. Yeah. And. Arthur Less is is almost there.
1: <laughs> yeah, almost there. And it's it, it, something so lovely about like someone who is like so self conscious who thinks their German is perfect in like the coolest city in the world. So oh. he's just like so he thinks. And he's like he's
2: forty nine, and he's surrounded by these uh, are they grad students or, yeah. or, or co- college students? So all these people in their twenties, and he and, he, and he, he perfectly describes the trendy. Punky clothes that they wear. And it's like, oh God, no, I can picture it. There's so many severe haircuts in that classroom. I can just I can I can see it. So I think the Berlin chapter is probably the one that sticks out to me, or the one that I remembered the best as well, just mm-hmm. because something very very strange happens in it.
1: Yes. Um, yes.
2: So well, well, two two things happen. One, he has a he. So he's left for a five week. Uh, class that he's teaching mm-hmm. um, so he which sounds a,
1: like a great class oh my god
2: it sounded so fun I yeah. haven't
1: like I've been asked a couple of times to do sort of creative writing things that have never quite come off but every time I think about it I just go back to those chapters being like that's how you host a writing class because and, and yeah
2: so he, he he has his students cut up uh, pages of well-known novels and then like reassemble them to have like Mad Libs, yeah. and so they don't learn anything about literature, but they fall in love with language again. And it's it just it sounds like a really fun way to which he says like afternoon. like the
1: sex gone out of a long dead marriage. They learn to rediscover yes. language again, which is
2: so perfect because when you're an English student, you do kind of like reading for pleasure is something that just dies. Yeah, um, and that's so what this
1: book is. It is pleasure.
3: Yes, just all the
2: way through. Um, so 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 so, so well, while he's teaching this class, he has an affair with uh, a Bastion. Bavarian called Bastian, uh, and and one thing I do love about this book is you can have the love of your life who is freddie paloo but you can also have a five-week affair with somebody and that'd be a really lovely thing to happen
0: it's and it's so... and, it, and
2: it's not like meaningless. It's it's a, it's just like a what a lovely encounter that's enriched my life in some way. Like like the one kiss he has with Javier on the roof in Paris.
1: And is it a beautiful, perfect, small little romance that's completely self-contained in the kind of hermetic container of that Parisian rooftop? Yes, it's beautiful. And I think that sorry, I, I want you to finish your point, but I think that is something that gay literature gives us that straight literature doesn't.
2: Because yeah, because we're just more used to it, or just we're, we're we have.
1: There's a greater understanding of the flexibility and the elasticity of love. Yeah, kind like, of. Yeah, thing. like
2: there's there's non monogamy and there's, you know, like, and, and there's a great, and getting sidetracked again, but there's a great speech towards the end of the book about how, you know, if a comedy duo stay together for 20 years, that's considered great. If a marriage ends after 20 years, it's considered a failure. It's like, no, like, yeah. some, things are allowed to end. I yeah. Think it's like, to quote Avengers Age of Ultron, something <laughs> isn't beautiful because it lasts. <laughs>
1: Wow. I, I know, right?
2: Fair dues. But I'm going to drag this back to my original. Uh, yes, thing, which is so the so strange thing yeah. that happens in Berlin. So, yeah, so he, has, he has this lovely five-week affair with Bastian, and then he goes to this reading in a nightclub. Um, and basically, Arthur has this weird effect on people in Berlin where everyone around him succumbs to this fever and faints.
1: It's like a sci-fi. It's, it's very strange. Yeah,
2: it's, well, it's like The Mask of the Red Death or something. It's like yeah. everyone succumbing to, to the flu <laughs> over the course of this. Like, I think it's like uh, first Bastion becomes sick for a night and then his uh, teaching assistant and then half of his class and then this entire nightclub people just start fainting and he's like, oh, no, I'm boring them to death. <laughs> 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 but And it's never explained. Which, and it's just yeah. like this lovely kind of just like weird thing that happens and then he flies off to Paris and, and it's never... Sort of
1: yeah, it gives it it's a again. sort of a slightly unreal quality, isn't it?
2: But that's what I think this book does really well is weird things happen in real life and you would say, yeah. Oh, that's like something out of a, a fantasy story. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, that sometimes just weird things happen and there'll you'll, there'll be a random virus outbreak of, of you know, and people will faint and and then you move on and, and, and that's yeah. just it's just a weird story that you have from that time you were in Berlin. And totally. It's, yeah. It,
1: oh, and it's it yeah, and completely believable in its strangeness. Yeah. And that especially that, that so he kind of he's sitting on this, this writer's event that he's been asked to go to is at 11pm at night in Berlin and they're like yes it is Berlin we have a reading at night <laughs> 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 and he's like okay and then he goes and he's reading it and he realizes that not only is everyone bored everyone's so bored they're fainting and dying <laughs> because of the sickness or whatever but like for me I think maybe part of the reason this book has imprinted on me so much is because it came out the year that I published my first book. And, oh, wow. okay. And so I'm so now incredibly familiar with the many minor humiliations that you have to go through as an unknown debut novelist. <laughs> and what, I mean, I'm sure I will continue going on these humiliations as I am a unknown second novelist or third novelist, <laughs> but
2: this thing... I can't wait for you to write your less.
1: <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> um, the The thing of like... Um, having an evening with Arthur Les where, at his oh. old high school where no one comes and stuff. Yeah. And oh, and,
2: and and then it's like una noche con Arthur Les in Mexico and it's just like, oh God, stop saying I'm a big deal because then it's, like, it's going to be mortifying exactly. if I start to believe it and then no one comes and no one cares.
1: I've had that experience quite a lot in the last <laughs> year. <laughs> so like being invited to um, like music festivals to do the day slot because obviously people need to do something during the day because no one wants to be in the open air. Yeah, and uh, um, my okay, my my most Arthur Less thing was I was at one of these festivals and I had a really good crowd come and it was mostly just people who were hungover or coming down and uh, just in the thing and I was like, wow, I'm really I'm really getting to people here, you know, and this was about ten a.m. in the morning on a Saturday and I was like, hey guys, you know, at one o'clock, me and the other authors are going to be over at the um, book tent or whatever and we're all going to be signing our books come on over there and people come up to be like yeah I'll be there I'll be there and I was like great because I was contracted to be at this book tent signing books for an hour and I was there the same time as this like Sunday Times travel writer who'd written a book and I was standing next to him in his line and his line was so so long and obviously by that point everybody who had seen me at 10am had completely forgotten I existed and I was just standing there. They got back on it by that point. They'd, yeah, and more power to them. So I, I still I like signed like three books, and then I had to stay there for the hour, and then people started coming up to me because they thought I was his assistant, <gasps> and they were like, "Oh, um, does he is he have many cities planned?" And I, I started, I was like, "Oh God," and then I was like, "Yeah, he's actually going to Leeds next week," <laughs> and I was like, I was so glad because I actually had Les with me at that festival, and as my reading, and I was like, "Oh, Arthur Les gets it." <laughs>
2: And 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 well, yeah, and, and I I I love anything that when you're reading it, you're like, oh god, I, I feel less alone now reading it, and 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 there were so many moments when I was reading that, and I was like, I have felt this so many times, and yeah. I have never seen it put into words, and it is just so great.
1: That's that's literature for you, man. That's
2: oh. Well yeah yeah, yeah it's, sure. it's but I don't th- and, 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 and I know this won the Pulitzer, but I don't think of this as literature I just no. think of it it's just like it's like my my little my 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 great funny son.
1: It's <laughs> my great funny son.
2: <laughs> it's just it's such a good lad isn't it? It's just it's a my good boy. My try I, my boy, my strong boy. <laughs> um and yeah it's, just, it's it's just this really lovely funny book that is about in so many ways about uh, if not myself then people that I know. He writes about gay culture and gay friendships. So wonderfully, yeah. his uh, his friendship—well, like it's, I say, friendship. But his frenemy thing, thing with with frenemy Carlos, where the first time they met, they were wearing speedos and holding glasses of white wine like pistols. I know those boys. We all know those oh. those mean, hot, gay boys. Yeah. Um. And 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 then the ultimate revenge being that he ends up like shacking up with his son for ten years.
1: <laughs> I'm, such great revenge,
2: and in a way that doesn't have—it never feels predatory, even though he first met him when he was twelve. Why is that? Maybe it's because it's Freddie narrating it.
1: Maybe, yeah.
2: Because
1: um, what's so interesting about it is... And, and um, they don't get
2: together until he's like in his mid-twenties. Yeah. So...
1: And then they're together for like 10 years. And so by the time they part, he's in his mid-thirties and less is 50, which feels fine, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's one of those perspective things. Um, But what's so interesting in this is the kind of concept of like sort of mentorship and May-December romances... You know, in this book, yeah. because first Les has this long fifteen-year romance with a much older man who is a great poet, and then he is suddenly the adult having this relationship with this much younger man, and this sense of um and and his uh, Robert breaks up with him uh, after saying kind of like, look, you know, I'm I'm becoming an old man, and you know this is this isn't going anywhere, and we're not happy, and. Bye, kind of thing keep the house i'm going back to my ex-wife so she can sort of nurse me in my later years
2: <laughs> and yet neither he nor the ex-wife come across as assholes either there's so much no, love there
1: so much love and then every, everyone in this
2: book is incredibly mature like every ex-boyfriend he runs into like it's just like lewis for instance yes. I, yeah i can't wait to be in my 40s and be like friends with everyone i've ever slept with
1: what is that <laughs>
2: And again, maybe that's a, a, a gay thing as well, where it's like, yeah. you know, you, you don't immediately be like, oh, I, I, you know, you and I went once dated. So therefore, like, if we're not together, I have to hate you yeah. or, or cut you out of my life. It's like because.
1: Because small it, communities. Yeah. yeah. If,
2: if you're going to cut everyone out of your life that you've ever been with, you are going to be Die friendless around. and alone. It, it's going to be like 28 days later. Your world is going to be empty <laughs> and creepy. Yeah. Um, like, I live in a very small city with a very close gay community. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I always close the door quietly because I, I, there have been some seriously awkward made-in-Chelsea moments when I've walked out of my front door and an ex has been walking past. And I've been like, wow. oh, hi. Oh, I am so happy that I'm wearing my good coat today. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That I'm not wearing, like, you know, the, the the flip-flops and joggers to go and get milk. Um, uh. But, yeah, so I think maybe there's an element of that. And, and and that's one of the thing he things he writes about so well is these kind of long-lasting friendships where it's like oh yeah we used to be really hot for each other and then it kind of turned into something else and now he's a friend that I would call up for his advice and he means a lot to me and I love yeah. him very very dearly. It's so like, lovely
1: it's the yeah. it's the, it's, the, it's the gay utopia everyone dreams of you know.
2: Absolutely I can't I, I you know I, I, I hope I have that.
1: Can't wait for you to have fucked everyone in Birmingham and then give them advice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I'm already there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, what's so because um, as I mentioned at the beginning um, there was this Realization as I was reading it that I I read so, well no I I, I do I do read read a lot of books by uh, gay authors about gay lives but in terms of like stuff that you would find in a very mainstream way in like a W H Smith at an airport yeah um like a Patrick Gale or something yeah l- less is one of the few books that you'll find about um gay adults and gay adult lives and uh, but it's not
2: like a quote unquote gay book no. Even though it it's it's so, so is. gay, <laughs> yeah. like like if you open it, like the inside cover is bright bright pink, yeah, um, and it's like every almost every character in it is gay, sure. and, and, and yet it's just like, it's well yeah, it's it's just like that. This is the reality that these people live in,
1: exactly, and
2: it's like this is the reality that I live in.
1: <laughs> and what's what's so what's what struck me actually reading it again um, was that when you have. Uh, sort of romantic drama books about straight people, like like a, a one day or something like that. Mm. And I, you know, this you could compare the two, um, but you have it w- built into the sort of atypical or the typical straight life is, you know, meeting, courting, parents, marriage, baby, menopause, retirement, death. Yeah. And that's sort of and that has provided literature and storytelling with a framework with which to tell love stories that when you take those things out with characters who don't necessarily either experience those milestones or want to experience those or opt out or opt in, like it gives you it makes you like gives a whole sense of like, oh. I, I remember, I, as I said to you before we start recording, the first time I read this book, it actually took me a long time. It took me like three weeks to read, or maybe a month to read it, even though it's quite a slim book. And every time I've read it after that, it's, I've read it in like a day. Because I was like, that thing when you don't know what the framework is, it takes you a while to get settled in. I, Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: so I, I think it, I had a similar experience When it took me a couple of weeks when I was reading it and I think it would be, I, I would read to the end of these sort of long chapters and be like, oh right so he's, he's done in Paris and he's going to Marrakesh so I'll read that bit tomorrow and yeah. I might not pick it up for a week yeah, um, because it's not like oh and, and I, I wonder like you know like yeah like oh it, are they going to have that baby or you know yeah. is, is he going to have that affair and it is that kind of a, the heteronormative structure is yeah. just completely pulled out and then in this sense there's a sense of just endless possibility
1: it really is, and and it's like it's that thing of the cover where it's just him free falling through the air, and that's almost what it feels like reading the book. It feels like, yeah, he like because there there these sort of structures or these um, responsibilities don't necessarily rely on him. He's just like falling through the sky in a way.
2: And the character who kind of opts for marriage and that kind of, yeah. you know, good enough uh, life immediately is like, no, no, that's not for me. I don't, I, I, yeah. I, I've been married for 24 hours and I just don't. I just hate it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, he, I mean, oh, oh God, imagine being his poor husband, waking know, up and Tom. the first the first thing he says to him on his honeymoon is, I wish you weren't crying right now.
1: Oh. <laughs> uh. It's <laughs>
2: just... Um, Oh, I was going to say something, but I can't remember what it is. Some something about marriage. Um, but the, the, oh, oh no. So the, the the good enough as well. This yes. idea of um, if you know, if I can't have this uh, this incredibly. You know, hot younger man who is I I, I know logically and rationally it probably isn't right for me. Mm. Arthur goes through this string of very practical lovers.
1: Yes, yeah, sort of age appropriate you, university and professors.
2: I've I've had periods where sure. I'm like, I think it's time that I have a I get a boyfriend now, and so i you know <laughs> what I'm willing to settle.
1: That seems narratively right for me to do this, and,
2: and, and, and yeah, it's like mm, this is this is the time this is the time in my life when I've decided I'm going to grow up and I'm going to get a partner and I'm going to become responsible. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, right, world, I'm ready to settle. Um, and then it's like, you and how you do, so,
1: <laughs> who do your prospective boyfriends feel about this? Well, I'm I mean, ready when, to when, settle.
2: When you tell the world you're ready to settle, it's like, oh no, um, there's <laughs> a reason I'm still single. And sure. I can, and there is a future in which I can envision myself being still single at 49, like mm-hmm. after Less, which is probably why I can. I mean, with you're very so good at it. So <laughs> Thank, I am really yeah. good at it. Um, and, and part of it is there's like this. The book says, you know, that you, that you there's a a merit to having shorter lived. Flings and and single and having that single mm. life and having that unstructured, non heteronormative life where you get to kind of just go off and be a bit freer and kind of just do whatever you want. Um. But yeah, so like when Arthur has this string of very practical middle-aged men, yeah. and, and 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 he sits at the theater, and, and yeah, I've had moments where it's like, well, mm, this will do. I, I could make, I can work with this. Yeah. You know,
1: look at us in a the theater. Look and, at me being normal. I, I, and he and he looks across
2: to his partner at the theater, and he goes, mm, yes, no, he's he's a he's a good a fine match. He would be a a good a good partner. A good a good yes, yeah. like. And he's already kind of planning his old age, and he's like, yes, no, we can look after each other, and he'll be very practical, and it'll be it'll be really good. And then it just sort of like. Completely fizzles out to the point that when he runs into him on the street several years later, he doesn't even recognize no. him. And and oh yeah.
1: And and there's that whole thing of the guy coming up to me like I don't feel badly towards you at all. No, <laughs> oh my no God. rancor. That was
2: so great. And he's I got his new thing. partner and he's like, oh, uh, go take a photo of us. And he's like, I still don't know who this person is. And I've done that with, you know, There's, not his with. his whose
1: heart I, I broke. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
2: God. Yeah. And I've done it not with exes, but, you know, you've been to like events where someone's yeah. being incredibly over familiar to you and you're like, oh, shit, what is your name? Oh, oh and then as soon as someone hears it, you're like, oh, yes. And then you use, use their name like five times in a row to yeah. overcompensate. And he does that as soon as he realizes, oh, Howard, Howard, Howard. Of uh, course. Yeah. Howard,
1: where would we be without Howard? Oh, but
2: yeah, it, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, and it's just,
1: <laughs> ah, <laughs> it's, and, 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 so and yeah,
2: so there, there, are, there are moments when I'm, I'm like, I, I want to like throw this book across the room because I'm cringing so hard on your behalf, but yeah. also it's just like so
1: delicious. So, so very good. I want to, I, I really don't want to um, miss this part because it could be one of my favorite parts, and it's also uh, in the Germany part, which we both love. Um, where does he go to Germany? Hang on, it's the bit about his kissing.
2: Oh, so yeah. Um, oh. So Caroline and I, over the last few days, while we've been reading this, have just been WhatsApping quotes <laughs> from the book to each other because I, I, I and I, I love knowing I loved knowing that you were reading it at the same time as me. Yeah. So it'd be like, oh wait, are you up to this bit yet? And then and then it's just like it's, it was a lovely shared experience.
1: It really, <laughs> it really is, and it's like especially kind of when you breeze through it and just like. For some reason the good bits just jump out at you because it's just a slim little novel. Oh, and there are and just, so many
2: lines, almost like every other page there is something that I I, I could get that like, tattooed on my lower back.
1: To- I would I like, completely um have a toilet book that was just isolated phrases from Less and just to yes, flick through just while I was reading it down. Just redact the
2: plot out yeah. and just have these gorgeous little almost <laughs> gorgeous like sonnets. Bits.
1: Yeah. Uh oh. okay, do you want to read it or will I read it? You you read it. Okay. <clears throat> He kisses, how do I explain it, like someone in love, like he has nothing to lose, like someone who has just learned a foreign language and can use only the present tense and only the second person, only now, only you. There are some men who have never been kissed like that. There are some men who discover, after Arthur Less, that they never will be again.
2: How did we read this and not realize Freddy is the narrator?
1: I just don't, I'm <laughs> I'm just
2: a dumb
0: I think, dumb. I think
1: we're very dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like Mr. Police, I gave you all the clues. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh God, I just.
2: And then ugh. there's a, there's a whole recurring thing about um, when Freddy is like leaving him to go and be with monog- monogamous with Tom, who he later marries. Uh, he says, "Kiss me like it's uh, like we're saying goodbye." And then he like that goodbye kiss kind of haunts Arthur throughout the book because he's like, it just wasn't it wasn't good enough.
1: Oh.
2: Like he can't sleep at night because and it sort of implies that he's like touching himself thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just like, he can't stop thinking, like, oh, like that's there's that just sense of like dissatisfaction, like, no, that it's not over. Or at least, or it didn't yeah. end the way that this affair should have ended after ten years. Despite um, the
1: fact they were both very classy and did the whole cloak. People are very classy in this book.
2: They are so it's a very white classy, sort of rich-ish book of people just, like, talking... You
1: know, very archly to their like, former lovers. ah yes, well Arthur, as we all know about uh, it, yeah. it, it always has the implication that um there are always people like having martinis talking about what's happening kind of oh thing, there are you so know? many martinis yeah yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I, and he knows that like whatever happens will be talked about among like the uh, the the you know the the older poet group and then yes. like Freddie's younger friends and then oh God forbid Carlos and his friends and he's,
1: he, he's sort of this access point where everyone's gossip converges because he's this single guy who just wanders around this, the world. Yeah and, and at first he, a click.
2: he was the 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 sexy young you know home wrecker who broke yeah. up the poet and his wife and and lived with him for for 15 years and then he was the the sort of you know slightly disastrous bachelor who slept with someone 10, 15 years younger than him because yeah. he can't figure out how to date anyone his own age. Like,
1: if he was my acquaintance, I would gossip about him constantly, you Absolutely. know?
2: Oh, I, I kind of assume that people talk about me the way they talk about Arthur less. Or at least I hope they do.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like,
2: oh, what are we going to do about Phil, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think you need to fuck famouser people. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm working on Unless it. Unless you're
1: doing it and I'm, you know, just being very tasteful about it. Um the, the most painful moment in the book, and I think, and you'll definitely agree with me on this, because you have so much... Ego as a writer, as I do, <laughs> is that bit where he's in Paris. <gasps> I know exactly which he, bit you're he, going to talk about. Yeah. He runs into an old acquaintance who was drunk and who was kind of a celebrated gay novelist. And he comes up to him and he says, Oh, Arthur, haven't you ever wondered why you're not in the canon? <laughs> and Arthur is like, Canon? I said, like, that you bloke at? Yeah. Yeah. How is
2: life in the canon? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and he's like so bemused by this, and he's like, "No, as in, you're not considered an important gay writer as I am."
2: I loved that. Actually, can I just read? Please do. Yeah. I, oh, where, where are we? French, 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 Paris. Uh, oh, uh, oh God, I can't. I can't find it. But basically, uh, he. But basically, yeah. So this awful person does that thing that only truly heinous people do. And he says, I'm going to tell you something because yeah. nobody else has got the gall to do it, but I'm going to be kind because I'm your friend and yeah. I'm going to say that you are not a good writer. And it's like, and he's literally, it's like, it's you know, he's he acts like he's doing him a favor, but really oh. he just wants to be an old bitch.
1: Not even that he's not a good writer, that he's not a good gay.
2: Oh, he's not a good gay. Ge- you not a good gay. Because Arthur's
1: like, maybe I'm just not a very good writer. And he's like, no, it's not that. You're a fine writer. You're a bad gay.
2: Okay, oh, I think I've, yes, I found it, I found it, I found it. <gasps> it's so perfect, um, it's so... Uh, yes, okay, yes, so did you ever wonder why you haven't won awards? Um, why the gay press don't review your books? And then he talks about, you know, why, have you ever thought about why you're not in the canon? And then he, uh, he says, <laughs> so yeah, why, why you're, uh, it's, not your, it's not that you're a bad writer, it's that you're a bad gay. It is our duty to show something beautiful from our world the gay world. But in your books, you make the characters suffer without reward. If I didn't know better, I think you were Republican. Calypso was beautiful, so full of sorrow, but so incredibly self-hating. A man washes ashore on an island and has a gay affair for years, but then he leaves to go find his wife. You have to do better. For us inspire us, Arthur, aim higher. I'm so sorry to talk this way, but it had to be said. Uh,
1: Did it? Did it have to be said?
2: <laughs> Did it, Finley Dwyer? Did oh. it? Uh, and I love that because there is this idea, and and, and and what I love about Les is it does show joy, but not in that important, this is a gay book about gay issues. Yeah. Um, this idea that, yeah, if you're a gay man writing about gay characters, that you have to be teaching the straight world about, about something, you know, so, some lofty, higher thing.
1: As someone who writes fiction, do you f- wh- how do you feel about that specifically? Have you ever felt that way?
2: Um, I mean, I write gay shit, <laughs> but I I don't, find me listed
1: under gay shit.
2: <laughs> I don't feel the need to educate or to inspire, mm-hmm. um, mainly because I, I I mean I I love lit- literary fiction, but that and I and I I've, I've tried writing and I've tried submitting it to literary prizes, and it's just really not my thing. I like to write mm-hmm. things where shit happens. Um, and same, I just, very I, same, same. I just I just like I you know I want I want stories to be fun, um, and I write. I write from experience, so I, I put a lot of you know st- the stuff that you know about being uh gay and 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 into my into my books and, and all all of the the weirdness and and the wonderful things that come with that, but it's never like oh I have to you know I have to do like that 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 film uh, pride about you know the, the gays and, and and the minors or you yeah, know, like yeah. a, like a, a billy Elliot or something where it's going to be like an important story and um I just thought sort of, yeah it's like i i, I I think I would bore myself if I wanted to do that. Yeah. Uh, and I think Finley Dwyer is in the gay canon because he, uh, yeah, he, he's written probably like some coming out story where the guy ends up dying of AIDS.
1: <laughs> or, um, w- yeah, because he wants he wants sort of like the thing of like, oh no, show us gay joy. Sort of the thing where like, you know, everyone rallies round and raises lots of money for, oh, for yes, the so guy and, with AIDS. And, and the guy
2: dies it. surrounded by his found family. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> Philadelphia or something. Um, and what I love about Less is this is a book that is just like f- ripped at ripping at the seams, so f- packed full of pleasure and joy, and it's writing about what it's like to be a gay man in the aftermath of AIDS, but it's not th- in that sort of self-serious, you yeah. know, Pulitzer Prize-winning way. It is just despite
1: being yeah, Pulitzer Prize-winning. You know what? <laughs>
2: because like like in real life, AIDS happened and it yeah. was a fucking tragedy, and and all those poor beautiful men died, and now here we are. It's t- 2019. That thing still happened, but we're ha- allowed to have fun. Yeah. And almost, it's like we know as a community what a precious gift that is. And yeah. so, why would you, you know, sort of there's there's memorialising, and then there's kind of just like wallowing, wallowing around. Yeah, and the then sadness. there's so, snuff. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's gay snuff, um, and, and and there's you know sort of like uh, marginalised, you know, minority porn. Uh, and it's like no, no, I I, I just want to. Gays just want to have fun.
1: just <laughs> <laughs> famously, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's a lovely place to end it. But before we do, I want to talk about who you would who you would cast in an adaptation of this and how you would do it. Oh, would you Netflix it? Would you mainstream film it? I, so
2: I was thinking about this on the train down. I think it's it's just because it's a, a gorgeous love story. It's begging to be adapted. I think uh, like a mini series, like a Netflix mm. limited series, a mm. bit like the recent tales of the city would be perfect because which I, I mean, hated by the way oh okay well we'll open the wine and talk about that later okay um, oh you're a bad gay <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, I, and actually I, and, and, and I, I, I kept thinking about tales a lot just because of you know the San Francisco yeah, connection yeah there's a similar and, vibe yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, so I would yeah I'd have it as maybe each episode is set in one of these different countries on this different kind of mini adventure oh. with this kind of like recurring flashbacks to show his you know like the mystery almost of, of what yes. happens what hap- what's going to happen with Freddie um, and it would just win all the Emmys, and it would, and everyone, it would be oh. so attractive. And I, I know who I would cast as Freddie, but it's this man I follow on Twitter who isn't an actor. I just think he's really hot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, very good. Um, I, I think what I would do is I, I would want like big opening weekend crazy rich asian style like super oh. fun super zany lots of like graphics on the screen being like berlin india oh, you know yeah. this, oh it, and, and this yeah this is really colorful
2: so it's bursting with with color yeah and and it would just be so much fun and there would be the music i mean there's a there's a great scene in berlin where it's like oh no this middle-aged woman is dancing to madonna and oh the middle-aged woman is me <laughs> it's,
1: it's Arthur Less. <laughs> Arthur Less. <laughs> um i think neil patrick harris is crying out to be
2: Do you not think? I just, I don't, I don't want to have to like NPH, and I know that he. Would ma- I, I would have to love him if he played that role?
1: Oh, what's your beef with him? Is he bad?
2: Is oh, he he's no, no, he's not problematic at all. He's just yeah. an, I just I, I, I don't know he's I find just, him just personally like... annoying. Him and his perfect husband and their perfect children Is, on he's Instagram. Just, it's he's very a bit
1: Saint Francis of Assisi of gays a little bit. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, no, yeah, he's not for me. But I, I don't know who I could.
1: But physically, he probably. Oh yeah, so
2: he's he's, he's, he's this sort of very tall, very blonde, skinny blonde, and and he's probably in it, it or would be in around this, the, the right age yeah. uh, age range. Um.
1: Maybe an Ezra Miller for
2: for Oh see, Ezra Miller's just really, really fit. I'm Ezra fit. Ezra Miller Ezra Miller could be a Freddie Palau, yeah, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then and then it would just have to you'd have to find like a porn star to be Javier on that rooftop because he is just it's the sexiest description of yeah. the Spanish man in the black suit who looks like an Argentinian blackmailer from an Agatha Christie novel. <laughs> uh. And Uh, and it's just like there's a a bit where he talks about like the little tuft of hair coming out of his shirt. uh, 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 Is
1: Javier Bardem too obvious?
2: I mean, it's, I mean, I feel like he named him that for a reason, you know. <laughs> uh, but it's I, oh, and oh, yeah. I, 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 we could sit here all day and just dissect uh, every single encounter in the book. But that is a beautiful, beautiful scene, God. and I would just love to see that. And and it's and it's it's almost ridiculously over the top in how romantic it is. They're on a Parisian rooftop, and there's a piano playing inside, and they've been drinking champagne, and they keep edging closer and closer together. I, and,
1: and he's just like, even he's saying like, um, he's even viewing the in- interaction in the rearview mirror, being like, Arthures went to Paris. And met a Spaniard and hasn't been seen since kind of thing oh, he's so yeah. invested in the idea of falling in love with this man and then it's just like oh you're I've married. got a partner sorry yeah. Yeah. But, but
2: and then it's like but they still share this beautiful moment that isn't lessened or sullied by the fact that Javier has this partner in Spain yeah it's still a beautiful encounter between the two of them and then when he's at the airport later he's like well I have this perfect snapshot and because it only lasted a moment it can never be ruined And I have had encounters like that where it's like if I've been on holiday and I've just like made out with a Spanish boy at a bar, and I'm like, "Well, you, I will never break your heart. I will, you will never get annoyed with me because this was a beautiful short-lived thing, and we only have tonight, and that's fine."
1: Beautiful, hermetically sealed moment. like a before
2: sunset kind of thing, and yeah, and and yes, and that's what this book just does so well.
1: Uh, Thank you, Phil. I feel very enriched by this conversation. Me too. So I, ready to I, fall in love, you know, oh, I'm all ready, over again.
2: I'm ready to just go out there and find an okay match, a, a good sort. <laughs> I'm re- world. I'm ready to settle. <laughs> no, I'm not. Let's,
1: let's go out and get some wine, and we can tell the world that you're ready to settle. <laughs> you know, we'll. Re- you can
2: rewrite my Tinder. Okay. Ooh
1: yes um, alright tell us where you can find your stuff where we can read your stories everything
2: um, so you can find me uh, writing at menshealth.com mm-hmm. um, I recently had a thing go out on British GQ the website which Ooh. I would be very excited for people to read uh, what's that about so that is about uh, the gay men who are reclaiming the word faggot
1: Okay. Uh, and, are you and, one of them
2: uh, no, no. Okay. So and, and it kind of it, it evokes my fight or flight response, and and so okay. I kind of explore that in in the piece.
1: Um, oh wow, sounds great. We'll put it in the show notes. Thank you.
2: Um, and then uh, yeah, you just find me on Twitter at philip ellis. I'm the ginger drinking wine.
1: Yeah, you're the the young Irishan Greer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks Phil. Thank you. This has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E or email me by the podcast at ZaraLineO'Donoghue at gmail.com This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast, thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo and ACAST for the recording space.